All right, let's have a word of prayer. God, we thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you uh, for the rain that is coming today. We thank you for uh, the chance to gather together in your house on the Lord's Day and open your word together to worship you. And Lord, we are so thankful for you and for all that you do for us. We pray that as we praise your name today, it would be from our hearts and not just from our lips, that as we uh, seek your face in the word, it would be with the intention that, that anything that remains of the old Adam in us would, would be chipped away and, and make way for us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Uh, just some business up front. I have a question about this summer. Um, Lisa and Kim are going to be doing a short series through the summer based on Max Lucado's book, no one of the call on the Savior, I think. Uh, so I am wondering if we want to pause this and do that. It would be like reading. They're, they're rather devotional type readings, and then you would discuss those um, and then resume this in the fall. Uh, or what? In the fall, there's also going to be another option uh, that Jonathan McGowan is going to lead. So we're going to get back to having uh, a non-monopoly on adult Sunday school, which is something I've been pushing for for a while. Um, so what are your thoughts? Do we want to, uh, I, I'm not expecting that anybody who's started doing this, if you if it's more your bag to do a discussion, uh, based, uh, thing through a Max Lucado book, you're not going to hurt my feelings. These are always online and available to listen to. Uh, if you want to hear, uh, people make fun of Sean, uh, but Any thoughts on that? Do we want to continue through the summer? Do we want to break for the summer and, and have the option of doing that or, or of sleeping in? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Do you, have a break? do you want a break from preparing? I don't want to break from, from doing it, uh, but I, if, if people are going to do that for the summer and then want to come back, I'd rather we hit pause and, and not have... You know, uh, half the class for, and it, already the summer becomes spotty because everyone's traveling. Um, so if you also, you know, I'm going to vote for pausing for the summer. Can I get a second? All, all in favor? Hold on. We didn't have discussion. You guys really need to learn your Roberts rules. You don't care? Oh, you, so you don't care about no, the, I mean, the I class? No, I mean, I would go to your just... class, but if your class isn't available, I would go to that. Okay. Or maybe I'd sleep in. <laughs> I, I, I do love, Ma, uh, Max Lucado would be a uh, kind of a break in a major way because what we're doing here is very doctrinal teaching. I mean, it, it certainly intersects with uh, everyday life, and we've done a lot of uh, discussion of, I mean, I really liked our um, kind of, case study situation with guys showing up at your door and what the scriptures require us to do. We've done a lot of that, but it, it'll be very kind of right where the rubber meets the road. Um, your, your brain's not going to start smoking from overthinking Max Lucado, but hopefully your soul will be fed by just, you know, being reminded of how great a savior. I, I really enjoy his, his writings. They, they're, they're easy in a good way. Um, like often reading the gospel of John is easy in a good way. Uh, so, any dissension there, or should we put a pin in the catechism starting whenever? Oh, that'd be coming up. Yeah. See, now I feel all panicky. I don't want to... Um, 
we'll find a good point to get to and then stop. And then I'll tell Lisa that's when she can have all of you for a while. All right. <clears throat> so we left off uh, in question 28. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? We're made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, and we had looked at um, what is redemption. We looked at some passages about redemption throughout the scriptures. Saw, for example, in the Old Testament, economy of grace, sacrifices, etc., um, that redemption being foreshadowed uh, in the book of Job. Uh, we talked about kinsman redeemer, that sort of thing. Uh, and now I would like to look at a couple more passages and then uh, ask a couple more sub-questions about this question. I don't even know if we're going to get through this question, but I hope we do because this is the 29th week of this class and it would be great if we got to question 29 and got back on track. You know. <clears throat> so who would look up for me Exodus 24, 8? And who would look up 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20? I'm on that one. Holy cow, that was quick, Zach. Well done. <laughs> I was a little, a little impressed with myself. So what? I see that. All right, who, who's got Exodus 24, 8? I was way closer to the other Aren't you glad you live under the new covenant? A covenant in which the minister rarely throws a bunch of blood on you. It's, it, is, it is nice, isn't it? That um, even if you're in a more liturgical tradition, the only thing you're getting sprinkled with from time to time is water, not blood. Um, but obviously, that was a picture of redemption and of ransom and purchasing uh, the, the people uh, for God. And, and that is, again, Exodus. So we looked at Genesis 3. We're in Exodus. Throughout the, the scriptures, you're going to find this stuff. Again, I keep on uh, recommending this. If you don't have the ESV study Bible, get it. If you can't afford it, uh, it's free online. Uh, you just have to make a little account and you can go online. Check out the section in the back called The History of Salvation. Walks you through the entire Bible and it shows you how this Jesus stuff is throughout the whole Bible. It's not surprise God is changing plans or changing tactics. If you'd been paying attention, reading through the Old Testament, uh, you start to put pieces together pretty quickly. What about 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20? Yeah. Oh, right. I have. I got it really quick, too. It's, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. Again, that's the notion of, uh, of redemption. Um, John Owen uh, lays out a kind of series here. He says, one, there is the way of its procurement. Secondly, the way of its administration by him, speaking of redemption. The first is deep, mysterious, dreadful. It was by his blood, the blood of his cross, the travail of his soul, his undergoing wrath and curse. This also adds to the mysterious depth of forgiveness and makes its discovery a great matter. 
The soul that looks after it in earnest must consider what it cost. To see the mystery of the love of the Father working in the blood of the mediator, to consider by faith the great transaction of divine wisdom, justice, and mercy therein, how few attain unto it. To come unto God by Christ for forgiveness and to behold the law issuing all its threats and curses in his bond uh, and losing its sting, putting an end to its obligation unto punishment in the cross. To see all sins gathered up in the hands of God's justice and made to meet in the mediator and eternal love springing forth triumphantly from his blood, flourishing into pardon, grace, mercy, forgiveness. This, the heart of a sinner, can be enlarged into only by the Spirit of God. So Owen is suggesting that this is something we grow into, recognizing just how dreadful and mysterious is the way that the redemption purchased by Christ was attained, that, that we will understand it uh, more and more, and the Holy Spirit will be working it in our hearts more and more. What's your experience with that as a believer? The tendency from a human point of view, I think, would be to, to have it kind of wear off. You know, it's the more you think about it, the more you encounter it, the more it's like, well, yeah, of course. Of course Jesus died on a cross for my sins. As we become a mature Christian, we grow into it. We just let it happen, and it just happens. Mm-hmm. And so as that happens, what, what happens inside of you in regards to your understanding of, uh, enlarging of your understanding of what Christ did for us and, and its effect on your life, how you live, how you think. That's where wisdom comes. Wisdom comes in so that we can open up and oh, that's right, that's what happens. Okay. I'm not sure what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I wonder if it's it's kind of like, you know, when you're when you're a kid and then you become a teenager and then an adult and then you have like your own family or to appreciate things about your parents that you didn't know, sacrifices they made, things they did, things that seemed like they were really unfair, but you realize later, wow, it was really hard for them to like say that, that it was for my good mm-hmm. or whatever. And I feel like you have that same sort of relationship with God, that you don't really appreciate everything that he does until you get older and, and you start to see those things modeled in your own life, like things that you have to do as a parent or you know, things like that. So I, I think of it as just having a bigger understanding of our relationship with him. And, and perhaps the greater our understanding of the glory of God, right, which should always be growing, the greater our understanding of the humiliation for him to come and, and die. The, the higher he's lifted up in our hearts and minds, you know, the bigger the fall. Uh, and and uh, he, he essentially took that fall for us and the curses of the fall onto his body. Without sin, he was punished for all of our sins. Uh, which leads me kind of into the next question. And this is where we might get a fun debate. Does this payment that we're talking about, this purchase, does this payment affect everyone? So, for example, if... 
you know, we recently saw the news story that this millionaire in Maryland or somewhere, he said, I'm going to pay all the outstanding debts for all of the school kids in my state because he read that kids weren't getting school lunches because they were behind, which I think is super cool. Uh, and so that means, what's that? It's not cool that they did that to him. We're not going to give you lunch because you're behind. Oh, they gave him like a cheese sandwich or something. That's not cool. But it's, it's awesome that somebody who has all this money was like, I don't need another yacht. Why don't I do this? Um, but each kid, when they arrived at school then, if before it was like, all right, you get the jelly sandwich because you're in arrears, today they were handed their lunch. And it, it was just applied. They didn't have to do anything. When payment's made, satisfaction is made, and you're no longer indebted. So does this payment Christ made on the cross, the price of his blood, which was paid, does it affect everyone? Can everyone show up at the throne of grace and just say, hey, I've been living like uh, sin's going out of style and I need to use it up. Uh, my own God and my own thing. But I understand a payment was made, so I guess I'm good. I hear that all the time, people being flippant about Christianity. Is that, is that the case? Is that how it works? If not, why not? If payment is made and God is just... How does he continue to demand payment or continue to claim well, offense? If I'm not a student at that school, I can't then go to the lunch counter and say, you owe me a lunch, right? Okay. Because I am not part of that organization. I'm not a student. So that payment was for those students, not for people who aren't those right. students. If you're just over the state line and... Virginia, and you're, and you're the right age and everything, but you walk in and say, oh, we're all taken care of, right? They say, no, that wasn't, okay. Now, how does it suss that out analogy-wise into how, how it applies to this? Well, I, I know it's tough to ex saying it in a way that doesn't sound like you're saying something else. Like, it's really hard, I find, to, like, semantically explain this. But... Because God, God's sacrifice is powerful enough to save everyone. Uh -huh. He has called specific people, and that's where the he's he's he called out Israel, and he calls people. He elects people. To, mm -hmm. You can't make yourself have faith. Faith is a gift, and it's given by but God, and not everybody it. has it. Okay. You have to have faith. That's part of the deal. Right. right. But you don't generate that yourself. Faith is a gift. Yep. Let me read from John 1 here, uh, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What does that tell us about who is paid up by this purchase those who receive him those who receive him and it comes not by and there's this whole list including not by the will of man right. so it has to do with the will of god right. and so the answer is that the payment only affects those to whom it is applied and this is super controversial even amongst um people who are very much Reformation-minded, even within those who are like Calvinists, which is a very tiny little, very elite sect. Um, 
there are those who say, oh, no, 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 no. This, this blood is, you know, offered up for everyone. It just depends on whether you go and, and say, I'm here for the debt forgiveness program or not. Whereas, so you have two sides. One side that says, if Christ set out to save everyone and only saved a very few, he failed. If Christ set out to save his elect, then he accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish. And that is a very big distinction. Uh, and it's one of those things where the more you talk about it and the more you try and look at it from the other side, the more you realize it's probably some of both. And this may be a, a kind of paradox, theological uh, tension we're dealing with. But this payment, the way we present it, has got to, to at least include the fact that not just you're spoken for in Christ, so don't worry about it, but for those who come in faith and repentance to the cross, your debt is paid. We can say that for certain. If you believe and turn from your sin, you are saved. And that's a pretty important distinction, I think, because the other leads down the road that Paul tried to you know, put up all the roadblocks. What then? Go on sinning that grace may increase? If you just tell everyone a blanket payment has been made for all sin, go nuts. It's like, remember when you, you don't, but uh, Steve, you remember uh, the, in the 80s when they would have the Toys R Us uh, like blitz where like one kid every year would win like 35 minutes to run around Toys R Us and get everything he could. You're basically saying, yeah, go collect as much sin as you can. If it doesn't include a notion of repentance, of a new birth, of being not just having the blood applied to you in this economic way, but having the blood wash you in a, uh, a salvific way, and, and both sides, both extremes are equally dangerous. To proclaim, you've got to keep the law, you've got to do this stuff, it's on your shoulders. Or to proclaim, don't worry about anything, law is a thing of the past, it's all grace, and by grace I mean license. And so, you know, the payment's been made, you may as well enjoy yourself. So I remember when I, uh, Aaron and I had just gotten married, and I got this letter I was like 21 years old, not, not, not real sharp. This letter from consumers or whoever, and it was like, we have a program where instead of like paying a lot when it's cold out, you know, and a little in the summer, you just pay the same every month. And I was like, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And I remember having the, the heat just jacked way up one day, and the window opened, and Aaron was like, what are you doing? I was like, hey, we pay the same every month. And she was like, but don't you have to make up the difference if you're... And I was like, oh, that is probably how it works. <laughs> Someone's got to pay, right? Someone's got to pay this. So in this, I mean, when we sin, if we are Jesus's, we remember someone has to pay for all of our sins. And that means that uh, it's not something we'll view cheaply. It's not something that we'll think of flippantly. Well, taken care of. I can confess that later. It will be horrific to us, the notion that we would sin. And that doesn't describe everyone. It describes those who are his. It describes his elect. Any other thoughts on that? It's a bad thing that I pray that that's not true. 
<laughs> what, why do you pray that that's not true? Because I have a bunch of friends that aren't going to make it if, uh, if, I, if, if that's the rules. <laughs> How do you know they're not? Because I know them. They, I mean, they have no, I mean, they, they profess no God. They're atheists. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Christians started out that way. Um, the, well, some of them are dead. Okay. So, yeah, that's like my hard. brother. Mm-hmm. So, I don't. I don't think it's bad. I guess to to wish for uh, God and His grace to override all of this. I don't think it's uh, entirely out of character to think that He might. Uh, and and I quoted Mike Whitmer a few weeks ago. When we were talking about a similar topic. We have no. I quoted Mike Whitmer uh, on a podcast. Um, we have, Cold. these go to 11, uh, we have a, um, enough grounds, or we, or we ought to wish for everyone ultimately to be saved, regardless of whether they've put their faith in Jesus, but we don't have biblical ground to hope for it, because hope has to be rooted in something, uh, and so we just say God will do what is right. Uh, there's also, you know, obviously the fact that we don't know where someone's heart was at the moment of their death. People who hear the gospel, um, you know, I, I, I've read many stories of people who, who they heard the gospel, they knew the God, they rejected the gospel, and then say in, in the trenches of war or in the moment of fear, they, oh, Jesus, if there's anything to this, save me, and, and were, were not killed and went about the rest of their lives as Christians. Well, what if they had been killed? We don't want to discount a deathbed conversion that may have happened. We don't know. We don't know what's going on. Only God knows the heart. And a lot of preachers like to lately bash that. You know, we, we do know the heart. You know, there's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's fruit. There's, yeah, but whatever. You, what fruit did the, the uh, thief on Jesus' uh, right hand show us? Not much. Didn't get baptized. Uh, didn't, didn't, you know, tithe. Just stayed there and died. But Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. So yeah, to hope and to wish and to, and to say, God, you're good and I'm trusting you to do what's... I, no, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, I think, us deferring to God's greater goodness and, and his greater understanding and saying, if, I mean, even Jesus, if there's any way this cup will pass from me, right? He's saying, this might be a Hail Mary, pun intended, but... And, and, and those are the kind of prayers, those big, huge, audacious prayers, God often answers. So, what, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't think that shows a lack of sanctification or anything on your part, Sean. I, I have people that, uh, they're not gone yet, but my, my very good friend from college, who was going to be a missionary, who is now just the most zealously devangelical, uh, sarcastic atheist you'll ever meet, um, yeah, if he were to die today because he jumps out of airplanes, even though the airplanes are fine, uh, I, would, I would pray, God, if there's any way that he, you know, it, it's too late for this, but you're praying, you know, if there's any way that he, he returned to his faith or he, he discovered you for real, certainly, yeah. But, but ultimately what this ought to do is not just lead us down a road where we keep having these backward looks going, oh, good grief. I wish that that had been different, but rather you think about your friends who are yet breathing and you redouble your, your 
efforts to proclaim the gospel, to model the love of Christ, uh, and to pray for them. Uh, you, you might say to yourself, I've already brought up the gospel enough times. There's no way I can do it again without burning this bridge. Okay, take all the time and energy you would have spent bringing the gospel to them and use it for prayer. Because that is the way they're going to get faith, is by the Spirit giving it to them. Spirit granting them repentance. Am I right? And so, I think so often, we don't pray. We, we grumble. We don't pray. Uh, pray, pray for the, the lost people in your life. Uh, that, and pray that you will have the words to say. So, shifting gears, because I do want to get through this, this question today. We've been talking just about exclusively throughout, so far throughout this catechism, about the first and second persons of the Trinity, especially in the last few questions. Uh, the Spirit came up when we said God is triune, and uh, you know, we were like, uh, one, two, oh yeah, three, there's a third one. But suddenly, he's front and center here. Why is the Spirit... The third person of the Godhead brought up here. We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. Alex, you're the closest thing we've got to a uh, charismatic in here. So, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Why, why is the was Spirit brought up when, when we're talking about things that have to do with the Godhead in general? talking about right, how are we partakers of the redemption, right? I think that I think that this is a, a Trinitarian work. I think that I think that the, uh, the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit is what brings us into the faith. You know, God, what 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 kind of illuminates our sins, brings us to the point where we realize we need a Savior. Um, I think that's the work of the Spirit. Um, and then afterwards. It's a good Orthodox Christian answer that a charismatic could hold on to, though. What's that? And then you speak. And then everybody has. Uh, I think what we've done here is already talked about the first person, the Father, who is the offended party, right? In His holiness. We've talked about the second person who has made the purchase, and now we have gotten to the point where. And, and I think a lot of people who are raised in churches, they just forget it here. They, they say, well, I know the stuff. I know God hates sin. I know Jesus died on the cross. And they don't seek the Spirit. They don't ask, has the Spirit applied this to me? Am I seeing change? They don't say, um, I need to be filled by the Spirit. Now, what, what does this mean if I say, Sean, Steve... Tomorrow, you need to be filled by the Spirit. You say back to me, hold on, we're all indwelled by the Spirit at our conversion, right? And I say, no, 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 you are indwelled by the Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Spirit. Am I being biblical or unbiblical? <laughs> yeah, doesn't it continually fill? Over and over. He? Yeah. That's a <laughs> Does he continue? Yeah, I, I think so. What, and, and do we have a role in that? Or is it like telling a balloon, be filled, and is, the balloon's going to be like, hey, when someone blows into me, I'll be filled. Well, clearly, they weren't doing anything 
at Pentecost to make the Spirit come. They were doing what Christ had already told them to do, the regular stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and Spirit's working they didn't in that. Conjure the Spirit okay. uh, of their own volition or with some magic words or particular acts. The Spirit came when it was sent. He. <laughs> He was sent. <laughs> the says to quench not the spirit, which doesn't mean you would lose your salvation, you would lose his indwelling. So that means there's a continual work by which um, you could quench. I, I would take exception to the idea of quenching the spirit, meaning you lose the indwelling of the spirit. I'm just saying in the broader sense. Mm -hmm. And I think what, we're, what we need to acknowledge is that there is another sense in which we are filled with the Spirit or not. Right. Because there are certain times when, like we're told, the Spirit will give you the words to say. Mm -hmm. you know, and that might be a different kind of manifestation of the Spirit for a particular moment and a particular purpose. Alex, did you start to say something? Well, I think, you know, Paul has this statement about, you know, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's this idea of and he's, he's, he's speaking to a saved people, you know. So, I mean, there's this, I think there's obviously an idea communicated where there is a difference, you know, of what, of what, of what a Spirit-filled Christian church looks like as opposed to the Christian church. Yeah, they've all been, you know, uh, effectually called by the Spirit, but I think that there's... A, they're not living in the spirit. Mute to, you know, uh, uh, the calling or the leading of the spirit. Or quenching the spirit. Uh -huh. Yeah, and so when I, if I say, am I being biblical or unbiblical, if I say be filled with, not only am I being biblical, I'm quoting the Apostle Paul in Scripture. Um, I just left off the part of don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with wine. Rather, be filled with the spirit. So that's a command, and it's a passive command. Because right. it doesn't say fill yourself with the spirit. It says be filled with. Uh, I don't know, I, we're probably, we're definitely getting outside of the, the reach of this question, which is about kind of our initial coming to faith, the justification and the application of, of Christ's blood to us. But as we live our lives, is it perhaps that if we pump everything else out, the spirit fills us more? Or is there something more intentional about it? Pumping everything out sounds intentional. Uh, is there something more proactive rather than saying, I'm going to remove the sin and the pride and everything and trust that God will just kind of fill me up? Do I seek after the filling itself? Yeah, you can, because you can seek after the filling of the Spirit by prayer and by reading the Word and by um, acting out your faith. The more you, the more you do something, you know, just like if you smile, your endorphins... Uh, you know, make you happier. If, if you're always frowning, then you're not going to be as happy. Um, if you're seeking after and you're doing the things of, of a disciple, then you would be closer and closer and be more and more filled with the Spirit, I would think. If you smile an evil smile, you're okay. not more happy. Um, or maybe you are if you're an evil person. Right. Let me just suggest that we were just talking, we're talking about Barnabas today, right? Big blow up between Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're going to go their separate ways. Spoiler, sorry. Um, when we first meet Barnabas, we're told a few things about him. And one of them is that he is filled with the Spirit. And you could say, well, they're all filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> Pentecost happened. Uh, and, you know, everybody's got... 
But Barnabas is said to be filled with the Spirit in a way that sets him apart. So you know people who are more Spirit-filled, and that is an important part of the spiritual walk. And I think it's good that we've gotten to a very specific statement about the Spirit in this catechism, because as Baptists and Baptists in kind of a Reformed tradition, there's a tendency to sort of forget about the third person of the Trinity most of the time. Be very intellectual. Think about, yes, there's this debt. There's a payment, problem, solution. We got it covered. And that is dangerous. Uh, The Spirit is so central to the New Testament. Being filled with the Spirit, living in the Spirit, uh, being convicted of sin by the Spirit. Uh, and, And so we need to remember that we are indwelled by God himself, God the Holy Spirit, uh, as we go about our our daily lives, and we need to be filled by the Spirit. Uh, There's a really great book, uh, I think we wound up talking about this at men's group a couple weeks ago, uh, that Frankie Chan wrote, Francis Chan, it's called uh, Forgotten God, and I thought it was wonderful. It was about how the church kind of continually loses sight of the Holy Spirit And Jesus himself said, it's good that I leave so that the comforter can come, so the spirit can come. You're better off with him than with me. And then we're like, well, but we'll just think about you and kind of ignore the one that you see. So so it it is very important, I think, as Christians to be aware of the Holy Spirit. And there is the fear that, well, people who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, those are those holy rollers. Ah, we got to get over that nonsense. Probably a lot we can learn from those holy rollers. Didn't last week's sermon tell us that the reason the Gentiles were accepted by the regular church was because they were, in, 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 that the Holy Spirit accepted them? Yeah, yeah. So, and that was pretty much it. Once they saw the Holy Spirit accepted them, well... This is God's seal of approval. Absolutely, yeah. So that there, there's no distinction then. God made no distinction in washing them, cleansing them, and filling them. Uh, we don't, so we don't make ourselves partakers. We're made partakers. Have a look at Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're made partakers. Uh, we might also look at uh, John ten twenty eight. If we have, yeah, we have time. Anybody there before me? Oh, I'm there already. I'm on a roll today. Uh, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is the work of God. And that is good news for screw-ups like me. Here is an old-timey sermon illustration. Several learned men tried to persuade a great scholar to believe in Christianity, but all their labor was in vain. A plain, honest person, however, managed the argument in a different manner by referring not so much to logical reasoning as to the work of the divine spirit. So that at last, the scholar exclaimed, when I heard no more than human reason, I opposed it with human reason. But when I heard the spirit, I was obliged to surrender. 
Thus it is, the wisest trusting to their own wisdom are lost, while those who are taught of the Spirit know the way of God in truth. And I wonder if we wouldn't see a lot more revival in America today if the people who were spearheading evangelism programs and the like did less equipping to argue and reason, although that has its place, Paul did it in the synagogues, but at least equally gave weight to the work of the Spirit. Uh, that, that is so much, I mean, you can't, you can't just tell cops here, this is how you, you handle the, the gun when the bad guy comes in the door, but give them no bullets. I mean, there's, there's a place for all of these things. And when we forget the Holy Spirit uh, and just focus on the blood, the offended God, and us, it becomes almost blasphemous uh, in my point of view. Well, it's very burdensome, too, to evangelize with just that because one of the most important moments, I think, in, in my understanding of sharing my faith was when I was really frustrated that I couldn't logically get through to someone who was a friend of mine and you were like, that's not really what your job is. You know, the Holy Spirit is what convicts somebody. You can't make this person believe through these means. Like, it was important to talk about it, but I, it wasn't on me that they believed. And yeah. that was really important. Yeah, and you, you, we see, I mean, you and I are never going to be as good at reasoning the Scriptures as, as the Apostle Paul. And we see that when he does that, he does a bang-up job, and the results are always mixed between people who laugh in his face, people who get so angry that they start a riot and try to use it as an excuse to get him thrown in prison, people who don't care, say, hey, maybe I'll hear him again, and a few who believe. What's the difference? Well, the, the different soil, as Jesus taught, and what makes the, the good soil good soil? Just like you go out in your backyard and till the soil to prepare it to plant, I guess. Um, so the Holy Spirit tills the hard-packed soil of the heart and prepares someone to hear the gospel. So yeah, if you're not bathing efforts to bring the gospel to someone in prayer, if you're not leading with prayer and following up with a rear guard of prayer, you're basically just blowing hot air. Hey, that rhymed. Someone hashtag that, hash browns, and put it up on the... Here's a great little sentence of which I don't know the origin, but I can find a couple of great passages to, uh, to make the case. The purchase of redemption is a work done without us, but the application of it takes place within us. I'll say it again. The purchase of redemption is a work done without us, but the application of it takes place within us. Can somebody flip over to Isaiah 63, verse 3, and someone else to Romans 8, verse 16? I'm getting it. Do you have it? Yeah. On page 622 of my Bible. Three. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. 
I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. Ooh. Wow. But the application of it takes place within us. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's important to remember that your salvation was one outside of you. The world, it, it continually co-ops the gospel. And a version of it that's rather popular now is, if you want salvation, look within. That was very popular in the 80s with New Age. It's very popular now with kind of semi-spiritual but not religious, you know, uh, general sense of, of otherworldliness. But we know that salvation is not found within us. What you find within yourself is sin, a heart that is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked, and who can know it? You find a will that seeks only to do wicked, uh, evil all the time, right? That's, this is all, I'm just quoting scripture at you. If you look inside, you're not going to find salvation. You're going to find everything, but it happens outside of you on a hill in, in uh, Judea 2,000 years ago. That's where your salvation is won. Don't look into you for the answer. Look into you for the problem. Look outside of you. The gospel is outside of you. The law is inside of you where it's broken and trashed and, and you know, kind of scattered along the freeway like, you know, when the snow melts and you're like, oh, that was under there. That's inside of you, the, the detritus of the broken law, but you can't look inside of you for the answer. You look outside. You look to Christ. But the application of the redemption, the work of redemption, takes place within us. It's not some other thing that's out there. It has to be within us or it's nothing. How does God forgive sin according to the riches of his grace when he receives a price for it? I'm just asking riddles now, Aaron. How does God forgive sin according to the riches of his grace when he receives a price for it. In other words, can a man freely forgive what he has paid for? Like, why is it grace if somebody had to die? Yeah. Because the people who deserved it didn't die for it, and so that's why it's grace. Right, so the forgiveness itself isn't a turning of the blind eye. The grace part, and this is, this is something our culture also and the church at large right now is missing, the grace part is not... Don't worry about sin. The grace part is, oh, be very worried about sin, but be comforted that Christ bore the, the penalty for your sin. Grace does not mean, I'll let it slide. And I think that, you know, with the, the Passover as the, the picture for us, uh, and I've heard recently some, some uh, interesting stuff out of Hebrew Union that maybe Passover isn't the best translation of Pesach, but the, the idea of, the angel of death passing over, the judgment passing over, makes people think, oh, when God shows grace, he gives us a pass or a do-over. Then you put it together in a contraction. But really, the passing over is only because of the substitute, the blood that was shed that is applied to your house. And so grace is not God says, oh, you're bad sometimes, but I love you anyway. 
It's I hate sin, but the blood has been applied to you by the Holy Spirit, and therefore there's no judgment. Judgment's already been meted out. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it is according to the riches of his grace that he paid the price, and according to the riches of his grace that he receives us. Jonathan Edwards said this, The Father provides the Savior, and the purchase is made of him. The Son is the purchaser and the price, and the Holy Ghost is the great blessing or inheritance purchased. And he, quote, he points to uh, Galatians 3, 13 and 14. I'll read that again. The Father provides the Savior, and the purchase is made of him. The Son is the purchaser and the price, and the Holy Ghost is the great blessing or inheritance purchased. We see a similar thing in Hebrews 9. Right? When, when Christ is said to bring his blood into that greater heavenly sanctuary, that Christ is both the priest and the sacrifice. Same thing. The, the blood is the price. He is the purchaser. His blood is the once-for-all offering. He is the priest. And God, the holy God, accepts it. This inheritance was the legacy which Christ left his disciples and the church in his last will and testament. You read John 14 to 16. And this is the sum of the blessings of eternal life, which we will experience in heaven. That's all exciting stuff. And that is all for question 28. Any other thoughts on how the purchased redemption is applied to us and what it means for us as, as followers of Jesus today? All right, well, we're going to raise some questions next week because the next one is, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? So we're going to delve deeper into it. And I, you might think that's, you know, getting in, you're opening the car and going, I just care that it runs. I don't need to see, you know, what all the little pieces do. It's important to understand the role of the, the Spirit in our salvation because it informs the role of the Spirit in our sanctification and how we live and, and how we die and how we live forever. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, the comforter which you've left with us. Lord, we thank you that you don't just give us a problem and a solution and entrust us with the task of applying it to ourselves. We couldn't have done it because no matter what we would have done, we would have been tainted by sin. Lord, only just as the, the Spirit cleansed the lips of Isaiah so that he could speak your word. Can your spirit cleanse our hearts so that we can receive faith and be granted repentance and become your children, become new creations? We're so thankful for that. We pray, Lord, that we would be filled with the spirit and not drunk with wine and not drunk with ourselves and not drunk with our own pride. But Lord, we would strive daily to be filled with the spirit, that we would, we would be spirit-filled and passionate followers that would ask you to guide us daily, uh, to lead us away from temptation, to lead us into the kind of works that you would have us do, not to earn your love, but to say thank you for all that you've done to us and to show ourselves and the world around us that we are new. We are bought with a price. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we are not any longer the old Adam. We pray these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.